0: Welcome to the conversation. This is Christy.
1: And hi, I'm Gretchen.
0: And this is Conversations to Connect.
1: You're listening to episode 33, where we are continuing our Amplify Black Voices series. I had the privilege of being able to have my dear friend, Doctor Reverend Dr. Raymond Anderson, but I know him as Ray, uh, come on and talk with me about all things...
0: I'm so excited that we have this technology now because with the Zoom, we're able to connect with so many people from all over, and I can't wait to hear this episode. Gretchen, you've always spoke highly of Ray, and so I'm excited to hear about everything. I know. It
1: was really cool to be able... This is the first podcast interview, if you will, or chat that I did over Zoom because Ray uh, lives in... He's in Delaware right now, so it was actually really cool. And because of everything going on, actually, Christy and I are recording over Zoom right now. So yay for technology! It all works out really well. Absolutely,
0: we're definitely saving a lot of uh, gas money, and (laughs) I just keep trying to reframe everything because I feel like everybody's gotten to the point right now where it's like, okay, this could be over like last month, and there's plenty of like ways to like rationalize things, but like. Gretchen, you and I were just talking, like, it's important to stay safe, to remain vigilant, and take advantage of using this technology. Absolutely.
1: Ray, thank you so much for coming on, being on the podcast, being willing to join us for our Amplify Black Voices series, which is what we are doing. Ray, how long have we known, when did we meet? Five, six years ago?
2: Um, I'm thinking it might be a little bit longer than that, but yeah, that sounds like it could be in the frame of... Time span, yeah. Like
1: a while. So, yeah, a Ray minute. and I know each other because of our connection to the deaf community. Correct. I think the first time that we met was at Cynathon. Yeah, I
2: think so. Because
1: yeah. I was interpreting. Right. And you were hosting.
2: Right, right.
1: And I know, I can only speak for myself, but I, I saw you and, lo- like, I think I interacted you with you, or maybe even just saw you interacting with somebody else, and I was like, mm-hmm, <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. I need to know him.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh my! Wow.
1: And then yeah. we had we had some fun. We had some fun that. Oh, sure. that And then you did a couple sign Yes. So I yes. Saw, because you are originally from Pittsburgh, correct?
2: Correct. Born and raised.
1: That's right. But you are not. You're living in the Maryland area, is that right?
2: Well, currently I live in Delaware. Oh, okay. Um, I was in Maryland, so I went from Pittsburgh to Richmond, Virginia. To D.C., to Maryland, to a different part of Maryland, to a different part of Maryland, to a different part of Maryland, <laughs> well, and to now in Delhi.
1: <laughs> you really now had I'm to. Well, that's a, it's a really spread out state, so you really had to touch all the parts of it.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, most of the parts. There are a couple parts I left alone, but.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it was. It's always been interesting. I think for me to always be interacting. When I get to interact with you, I always have such a wonderful time. Likewise. Your your spirit is contagious. Uh-huh,
2: oh, I'm
1: honored. Thank yeah, you. so
2: feeling is mutual.
1: <laughs> well, thank you. Um, so, what is it that you are doing now?
2: Okay, so like like you said, born and raised Pittsburgh, and uh, became an interpreter for the deaf community in like 1995 ish.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, started performing songs and whatnot in American Sign Language. Eventually ended up in Richmond, Virginia, where I got my MFA in theater education, did a couple other things, ended up in the D.C. area working with the Wild Zappers and the National Deaf Dance Theater, and currently, I, and this is the furthest thing from my mind that I ever would have figured I would be, but I'm currently the senior minister of the Center for Spiritual Living, Greater Baltimore, yeah. which is located in Lutherville, Maryland.
1: That's awesome. So how did you get into the spiritual track after you were doing theater and, you know, interpreting and, you know, (laughs) like all of that, which, you know, how did it kind of, where did that connection happen for you?
2: Okay. So in Pittsburgh, originally I, you know, was a fundamental Christian. Okay. Which... Oh, The things we could talk about about that. (laughs) Well, that Um, might
1: be something to talk about.
2: (laughs) So there was that, but because of my martial arts, I had a very eclectic spiritual background. Mm. You know, I studied Taoism and Buddhism and like a whole bunch of things. Yeah. And so I was a closeted Buddhist, Zen Buddhist, closeted Taoist, all those because you can't be that and Christian. Mm. You know, I kept all that stuff a secret. Wasn't the only thing that was in the closet, but I kept (laughs) a lot of that stuff secret. so I've always had this very interesting interfaith perspective, but my oldest brother is a, is still a fundamental Christian mm. of the uh, Pat Robertson School of Theology, mm-hmm. where if you go to Starbucks, be careful, because they make you gay by drinking their coffee. So oh. that's, that's their good, theology.
1: Good to know. Thank you for sharing that. I'm <laughs> not sure many people realize that.
2: Right? Like, ooh. <laughs> that's, no a powerful, that's a powerful coffee. Right? Like, <laughs> come on, now. I know. Some of the like, things... It, it makes me tempted to go by Starbucks and, like, put a Maxwell House label on it and just be like, here, 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 here. Like, oh.
1: I choose you. If the whole
2: world That's was gay, right. it'd be a lot of a better day. No, let me stop. So <laughs> so anyhow, I eventually ended up going to theology school, seminary, whatnot, because I wanted to know the Bible better to mm. argue it with him. mm Because he was quoting the Bible, talking about who was going to hell and why they were going to hell and what kind of handbasket they were going in. And I was like, yeah, but wait a minute, wait a minute. This dude, Jesus, it was love thy neighbor and love Right. You're not talking anything about, wait a minute, I need to find this for myself. So I ended up doing that and became uh, an ordained Christian minister. And the funny thing is, being in school to become an ordained Christian minister is what made me not want to be a Christian anymore.
1: Well,
2: you know. Wow. Yeah. Because just finding out how, like, Emperor Constantine and the Council of Nicaea, just seeing how the Bible came into being and how Christianity came into being, it's like, well, wait a minute. This was a bunch of old white dudes determining how they were going to dictate and control folks. Yep. Like, that's literally what this was.
1: Yeah. And the Bible
2: was written by a bunch of
1: old white dudes.
2: (laughs) Ding, 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 ding. (laughs) Yeah. And keep in mind that the common folks were not allowed to read it. It was... Mm. We'll read it and tell you what you need to do. Like, oh. so we need to keep you dumb and uneducated so you're not even allowed to read the Bible.
1: So not only was it written by white men, yep. but then it was, we'll read it and then tell you what it says. Yep. I didn't even realize that.
3: Yep.
2: So talk yeah, about, like,
1: filtering and then filtering yeah. to mostly people of color.
2: Like, it wasn't until many, 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 many years after Christianity was a thing that, you know, the Bible started being printed, like the wow. Gutenberg Bible, and then, you know, it was like, oh, well, now we can we can sort of read it. Yeah. Okay, now we can really read it because now we have access to it. But people still weren't, like, the masses weren't educated enough, so they were reading it, but they still needed the whomever, the clergy, to interpret it for them.
1: Well, I know I read it, and I'm like, what does this say?
2: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I'll, I'll,
1: I, I would like, I will label myself as a highly educated woman, okay, but there yes. are still times that I read it, and I'm like, what does this say?
2: Yes. And the funny thing is because when we read it today, we're not reading it with the understanding of what these people, mm. like, okay, so in Leviticus, since people always want to use Leviticus as the anti-gay thing. Yeah. It's got like a list of like you can't eat shellfish and you can't do this and you can't do this and like a whole list of things. And people are like, oh, well, but I know a whole bunch of Christians that eat shrimp. Mm-hmm. But, but it says, so they're not taking into account, well, why was this forbidden? then and does it apply to us today right the bible says that if a woman is on her menstrual cycle she's supposed to be put out of the house until that's over and anything that she touched was supposed to be put out and had to be ceremonial cleansed and like the whole night do we still do that today no like okay so why was it a thing that but it's interesting
1: how much that really has impact because even just you saying that it's like but how much are women shamed Exactly. For periods and menstruating and being like all of those things. So it's the same kind of thing. It's interesting, though, that we are not shamed for eating shellfish, but um, that we (laughs) we are shamed for being queer or not being straight or, you know, being a woman and what that comes along with.
2: Yep. There's like there's a whole. Yes. So anyhow, so became an ordained Christian minister and was like, okay, so what am I going to do now?
1: Yeah, because you're like, well, I mean, I am one, but I don't want to be one. (laughs)
2: <laughs> right. So from there, I, w- I ended up going back into an interfaith seminary and became an interfaith, an ordained interfaith minister mm. um, Four different schools because like they focused on different aspects of being interfaith. Yeah. So four different interfaith things. And I had sort of been studying this concept called New Thought for years and, you know, getting back into interfaith the fourth, fourth, fifth time, whatever came across New Thought again and was like, you know what, uh, let me see if this is something I can really like become a minister in, mm. and found out that I could, and eventually became, an or well, I'm a licensed CSL minister, soon to be ordained in 2021, but yeah, so that's what I am now, an ordained New Thought minister, I mean, a licensed New Thought minister in the Centers for Spiritual Living, which specifically the teaching is science of mind and spirit, or religious science.
1: Yeah, love it, awesome. So that's what I'm
2: doing now. Currently, I've been the senior minister of this one center for two years now. This July, we're starting our third year.
1: That's awesome. Well, congratulations.
2: Yeah. Thank you very much.
1: Yeah. <laughs> That's so exciting. So, I wanted you to come on, not just because you're super awesome, but also because anytime I talk to you, I always felt like you were very, I don't even know what the word is, like just, <laughs> when you speak, I'm like, I want to hear what you have to say, <laughs>
3: I'm just going
1: to appreciate it. So I was hoping that you would be willing to maybe share a little bit about your own kind of intersectionality, if you will, about okay. being a black man in okay. America, identifying as you do. And, yeah. you know, like, would you talk a little bit about that and kind of share yes. that background?
2: Yes. And 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 I want to preface this with so many, many years ago when there was this woman, you may have heard of her name, uh, Barbara Walters, mm-hmm. who, You know, used to interview folks. I used to always say, one day when Barbara Walters interviews me, I don't want her to be able to pull out of anything and say, so, Raymond Anderson, is it true that in 1978 you would And I was like, yeah, no, you ain't pulling nothing out of nowhere to sideswipe me. So there are no secrets. I do my best to be open, authentic, and transparent. So, yeah. yeah, anything is on the table, feel free to ask or whatever.
1: Beautiful, thank you. So
2: the intersectionality that you're referring to is... I am both black and gay. What? Who would have thunk it? (laughs) (laughs) And in this current state of the narrative of the United States of America, it is a very
3: Mm.
2: trying, challenging place to be. Yeah. Because there are so many layers of how you're not seen, not recognized, not acknowledged, not anything. And one thing that I I often tell people when they don't understand the concept of either white privilege or like whatever we're talking about. Mm -hmm. And I asked them, I said, do you watch television or movies? And they're like, yeah, of course. So I say name as many as you can, like as many television shows or movies as you can, where it's a predominantly black cast that's not about slavery that's not a comedy that's not about the civil rights movement go and like they start um, they um, start thinking they start thinking and and we go for a couple minutes and you know somewhere in there they're like oh, oh, and they one pops up i'm like okay okay keep going cuz we've been it's been 10 minutes
3: <laughs> still and thinking
2: and like, and they legitimately can't have a hard time thinking of them yeah. and i say okay now name as many as you can predominantly white cast and they're like oh boom and they the list Uh uh-huh and i say well imagine being a young black child watching television and you don't see you represented except in comedies sports slavery films civil rights films like that's the relegated to that yeah which is why i applaud jordan peele for coming out with horror thriller dramatic with starring black folks it's like we've never had a predominantly black cast in like right and i tell people that's why black panther as a superhero because i'm a superhero nerd yes for those of you cannot see me i'm wearing a super (laughs) spider-man shirt right now Uh, but that's why black panther when it came out people of color lost their minds yes
1: and why it was was, so vitally important
2: yes yeah i mean and i and okay and so the other intersection gay where do we see mm-hmm. a predominantly gay cast where it's not the hyper whatever, the stereotypical, but it's a legitimate story? For example, let's go with, let's say this is us. Mm-hmm. What if that was about a, a gay family? Mm. Two dads mm-hmm. who have children, and then we see the unfolding of here's the children, here's the dads, or two moms, and here's the unfold, but it's a story about a fam like it's a regular family
1: yeah for real well and even that i mean it's like we don't see that within the gay queer community you know you think about tv shows maybe parts of it are taken seriously but there's so much of it that you said that's just like it's it's the entertainment factor straight people who are going to watch it you know cisgendered people who are going to watch it are going to want to see those stereotypes and again we don't see people of color Exactly. There is no whole cast. It's all white people. And maybe you have like the random Latino yep. or black person or any certain, you know, person of color.
2: Yep. Like, okay. I love Keanu Reeves, but how come John Wick couldn't have been a black man? Mm-hmm. I mean, like, where are those films? Where are those TV shows? Yeah. So anyhow, I mentioned that to say, cause I'm involved in, you know, film, television, theater and the whole like entertainment stuff. And like, it's, it's a thing. I mean, even within the deaf community as an interpreter of color, like, it's a thing that there there has, wow, wow. So in so many layers of things. You're
1: just constantly reminded.
2: Yep. And for me, because this is what I do, not only am I reminded, but I have to process. So what does this mean for me? Mm. So that I don't get lost in the whatever, the drama, the victimhood, the, like, so I don't get caught in finding myself damaging my own self because so it's how do I find they're not there, so how do I find role models? How do I find images of? How do I find like I have to become proactive. That sounds exhausting. And it is. You know, I Audrey Lord said that self-care is a radical form of it's a revolutionary act. Mm. Right? Mm It's a revolutionary act. It's a political statement for people of color, for any marginalized group, for you to take care of yourself. Yeah. So I find myself on a regular basis. For example, George Floyd, the video, I didn't watch it. No. I couldn't. Mm-mm. I'd seen enough lynchings of one form or another. When I saw Tamir Rice get shot within wow. 15 seconds, within 15 seconds, an officer jumps out of the car and within like 15 seconds, 12-year-old boy is shot. Like I was traumatized by it. you t- it's a twelve year old child.
1: Can you talk a little bit more about the impact that that has on you? I know you can't speak for all people of right. color, but for you to hear that, because as a as a white person, I hear that and I know I understand that, like the vicarious trauma, and also mm-hmm. that you carry that with you and have carried that with you. But I'm wondering mm-hmm. if you could speak a little bit more as to like the ongoing impact, how that has impacted you through your life.
2: Yes. So for me personally, the impact has been maybe magnified because I grew up as an abused child. Mm. So I grew up with alcoholism and drug abuse and, you know, verbal and physical and emotional and sexual abuse. Mm. Like I grew up with all of that. So I've all I've been hypersensitive and hypervigilant and PTSD like that whole thing since as far back as i can remember mm-hmm. so anytime if i'm out in public and i would hear someone raising their voice i would catch myself clenching my jaw mm. and 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 tightening up
1: mm-hmm. because
2: there's there's the you know mm-hmm. cellular memory of when i was being screamed at or hit or whatever
1: right cuz your body just
2: remembers that right mm-hmm. and having been shot at before you know having had a gun pointed at me before it's just this idea of when is it when is it gonna happen to me like no one is spared it doesn't matter if you're a man you get shot you get killed it doesn't matter if you're a woman you mm-hmm. get shot you get killed because Breonna Taylor was in her own home like chilling asleep in her own home. asleep right and get killed doesn't matter if you're a child because 12 year olds clearly aren't like it, doesn't matter. Well, here in Pittsburgh, Antoine Rose,
1: 16, I yeah,
2: think. R- right, shot in his back. Running right? away. Running away. Running so what away. What kind of threat? Right. Right. And so there's the trauma of, so it doesn't matter. First right, it doesn't say, matter you what you do. Right. Because right. first it was just put your hands up. Put your hands up, you still get shot. So then it was, well, just comply. Well, there are people who have complied and still got shot. Um, I can't think of the gentleman's name, but he was taking care of a special-need individual, Mm. and the police officer was like, get on the ground, and he got on the ground, and he still got shot. Mm. Like, he was on his knees, complying, and still Mm. got shot. And first thing out of his mouth was, I did what you said, and you still shot me. (laughs) It's like, what the, what the, what the hey, hey? You can swear,
1: it's okay. It deserves it.
2: (laughs) (laughs) And then the the other side is, then there's no justice. Mm. Or very rarely so it says on a psychological level it says oh so not only am i not deemed as a human worthy of life worthy of breathing but then if i am assaulted or murdered there's no reasonable expectation that those who assaulted me or murdered me will find justice right like there's so then there's the the extra burden of so every time i leave my house oh hell Rihanna Taylor was in her house, so it doesn't.
1: Right, that's, you're I, not protected. Yeah, where where are people of color state. protected?
2: Clearly, it's not even church, because we remember, you know, prayer group, and oh, come on in and pray with us, and praying with, and then he opens fire and kills. Like, so where are where really where are? <clears throat> so there's all of that, and so the the trauma is, I have sons of color i have grandchildren of color i have friends i like it's so every day it's oh there's two new hashtags oh who's the hashtag this week so there's always this thing running in the back of my mind where fortunately i have this spiritual practice because if i'm telling you now if i didn't have my current spiritual practice then when i feel depression or whatever it is it would be magnified i'm sure i would be on some kind of medication right i'm sure i would be because it's it's so overwhelming and then to top on like onto that we have a current administration that's anti-gay we have many politicians anti-gay we have many clergy anti-gay yes so once again it's here's that intersection of So if I want to go to someone's church and visit, Mm -hmm. then I run the risk of, well, I have to be closeted because if I'm not, I run the risk of whatever they're going to do or say. For example, several years ago when I was living in D.C., there was a minister in D.C. who was calling all of the men of God down to, and I wasn't there. Fortunately, I was supposed to be there that day, but something came up. Called all the men of God down to the altar because he wanted to bless them. And he specifically said, but all you faggots and sissies, stay in the pews. We don't need you. (gasps) Like those were his words. (sighs) And the reason, and I wasn't there. So once again, the reason I know this is because someone who worked for the newspaper reported they were there. That was their church. Wow. They reported it and some members that i know of the deaf community were there they told me and the interpreters there told me that's when they got to the point where they were like oh i'm supposed to wait a minute what did he just say like they were yeah what did he just say did he just say what i think he just said wow But, but what happened there should have been a mass exodus people should have got up and walked out but they didn't right so you're sitting there in a place that's your church home and you just heard your minister who is supposed to be in charge of your pastoral care right so God forbid something happened to you and you need to call the senior minister or another, you know, deacon or whatever to come to the hospital to care for you. But are they really caring for you? Or are they caring for the you that you have let them know about? Because you can't let them know about the full you.
1: Mm, or the you that they're okay with.
2: Right, right. Well, right. and that's
1: so important because so many people turn to pastors, deacons, priests, you know, people who are of religious stature for counsel and support and advice and guidance. And so the power that those people hold, Mm -hmm. can you speak a little bit about that, what you have seen within the religious community, but also your own experience of that, if you have had that, of people coming to you?
2: Yes. So prior to my becoming clergy, it was it was exactly what you said i i had to present myself to the clergy that i went to to give them the version of ray that i knew they would be comfortable with and Mm -hmm. accepting of which means ray so what's bothering you today well okay i can't tell them that i just broke up because if i do they're going to want to know what like what's her name and like what they and I and I'm gonna lie, and I can't lie to clergy because that's a sin. I'm not trying to go to hell oh shit right. I'm on the hell anyway because I'm,
1: I'm holding this information.
2: Right, right. Like it's a sin of omission. So oh there's too many rules. So it's like there's this constant struggle of well, if I can't be myself with this person who's supposed to unconditional love, agape, you're supposed to be right. mirroring the love of Christ, like but you're not. So when I finally got to a point in my life where it was, this is who I am. This is what I am. This is how I live. You either take it or you leave it. Yes. I am fine with either of them, but trust and believe if you are in the circle, then this is how you are going to respond or react to me. Absolutely. Because anything less than that is me condoning Mm -hmm. my own abuse, and I'm not doing that. So I like I've, i know what it is to have suicidal ideations and all this and i'm not putting myself in that predicament again being on the other side my number one thing that i learned that is most vital is to listen without mm. judgment mm. even when it's something that i don't like i've had kids uh when i was a public school teacher so I'm public school teacher by day, <laughs> and, right? Clergy by weekend, whatever that is. But I've had students
1: a true come life me, superhero. Right, right, right.
2: <laughs> but I've had students come to me, telling me like some some horrific things. Yeah. Now I'm clergy, but I can't be that in a public school setting. Clearly, but how does being clergy affect my public school teacher persona? Just listen. Mm. Listen, you're an educator. Listen to them. And I had one student come to me one time. She was trying to prank me, and she like tears in her eyes. Anderson, I just found out that I'm pregnant, and I don't know what to do, and my mom's gonna kick me out. And and I said, just talk to me. So what's going on? What are you feeling right now? And like three minutes in, she she just like like a light switch. She cut it off, and she said, okay, what what's going on? And I was like, what the? Fuck? What just happened? <laughs> no, but what is going on? My lights go, and she said, you're you're no fun. And I said, what? She said, I was trying to prank you. You're the fifth teacher that I came up to. All the other ones got upset. How could you? I'm so disappointed in you. And she said, you didn't do that. Mm. Why not? And I paused for a second. and was like, oh, wow. Be- why would I? Why would I judge you? It's what you did. It is what it is. It's the whole idea of why cry over spilled milk? It's spilled. So what do we do? We clean it up. Right. So what happened? You made a mistake, if that's what we're calling it. Okay, so... What do we do about it? First thing I need to know is how are you because I'm not going to be with you all day. So talk to me about your state of mind and your emotional state so I know that when you leave my presence, I know that wherever you go next, there's a level of peace or a level of something right. that you're going with. So talk to me about that. A lot of clergy do not do that. In in my specific path or teaching, we call that spiritual bypass. Or Mm. spiritual malpractice. Because I have people, colleagues, who say racism doesn't exist. (gasps) Like, they'll outright say it doesn't exist. Right? And you're like,
1: hi, 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 here I am. But
2: but the idea is, uh, like, I don't know if you've ever heard of the law of attraction kind of thing. Okay. So the idea is, don't let anything into your consciousness that you don't want more of. Mm like Morgan Freeman even said one time when he was being interviewed for 60 minutes or something and the the guy said so what how do we end racism and Morgan Freeman said stop talking about it while I understand what he's talking about I also know what Einstein said about you cannot solve a problem at the same level that created it so talk about racism but we have to talk about it at a different level correct right you talk mathematically we talk about whatever the theory of or whatever if you talk about the problem as a problem and only talk about the problem, then you never get to the solution. Yes. So you have to talk about the problem with the solution in your consciousness. So it's how do I up level? How do I upgrade this? But I have colleagues who say racism doesn't exist, sexism doesn't exist, xenophobia doesn't exist. Are
1: they all white men? And women, yeah, the vast
2: majority. So like, it's, it's like, wow, are you serious? It's just this idea that even me, with my colleagues, when I go to them for conversation about what's going on in the world, there are certain ones that I still, like I can't talk to you. Because right. you're gonna give me this spiritual bypass thing about, but all lives matter. Yeah, they do. But someone- res-
1: always so fascinating to me, also because of who, like you are a spiritual person, you were following the teachings of Jesus and God. And like, that is not what Jesus did and said. Right. He didn't say like, Oh, you're a leper. Sorry. Everybody matters. I can't help you.
2: Right. Right. And so right. It's,
1: it, it's, I mean, <laughs> I get it on one level, right? Like I get it because it's, it's so easy. I don't want to see that. I'm just going to put my blinders on and just right. see what I want to see. Right. But this is, This is literally the basis of your teachings to become a clergyman Mm -hmm. or a clergy person. Yet you are putting those blinders on to those basic facts. Yes. Yes. Exactly. (laughs) Or teachings, whatever you want to call them.
2: Exactly. I mean, someone used the example and said, so if someone said, a wife goes to her husband and says, honey, do you love me? And he says... I love all people (laughs) i saw that right like how long would it take for the divorce right she'd be
1: like you love who
2: (laughs) right (laughs) she's like what the hey that earring's coming off like what do you mean she's like i didn't know we were polyamorous what is happening (laughs) exactly exactly so while i understand the concept if my house is on fire yeah and the other houses in the neighborhood aren't then is the fireman going to say you know ray i'm sorry but i can't work on your house right now i gotta
1: right all houses are important
2: as all houses are important which they are but they're not all on fire right now the number of trans women of color who are dying and disappearing the Mm. number of indigenous women who are dying and disappearing is at an alarming rate it should be a national emergency and yet the narrative of our country and, and I remind people that everything about how the United States of America was created is on bloody soil. Yes. Everything that was built was built on Indigenous Americans' mm-hmm. blood, Asian blood, because mm-hmm. the railroads and the Chinese, mm-hmm. Japanese, put into internment camps and tortured, beaten, and killed. And then, of course, the transatlantic slaves, like. It's built on. Literally.
1: Right. The money. Literally right. the Europeans came over and stole land. Raped, yep. murdered, pillaged. Yep. Indigenous people. Exactly. And they were like, I have a flag. Do you know Eddie Izzard? That's my favorite. He's a comedian <laughs> yep. and he's always like, do you have a flag? Yep. You can't claim this land. <laughs> they right. came exactly. over and they were like, hmm, flag. Exactly. Oh, you don't have one. Sorry. This is no longer your land.
2: Yep. Yep. Right, like, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, so you're telling me that if I take a flag and walk into somebody's house now and just plant it in the middle of the living room, I can claim it?
1: Yeah, right. Yeah, no,
2: it doesn't work that way. Right, shit don't work or, that way. It but it did at one time. It did. And it and that's the narrative, because for real, even though that exact narrative isn't still the narrative... It is still the narrative.
1: It is in the bones of the narrative.
2: Yeah. Yep. It's it the, the money that we use is still dripping with the blood of yes. people who were lynched, sold, stolen, made invisible, etc. Yeah. So this whole idea of being a spiritual educator and simply being a man of color who is also gay, who is not the stereotypically gay person, because you know people are like oh, you're what? What are you, you're gay? Are you? you sure? They're like, but I thought you and Tracy were married.
1: Oh my God. That is hilarious. I'm sorry. Yeah. Cause I know Tracy and I love her. She's amazing. But that is just so funny. You two are like, I for the longest time thought legit you were siblings.
2: Yeah. A lot of people do. Well, first of all, when she cut her hair, she's bald. It's I know like, you were like, okay,
1: well now we look like
2: twins. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. And we're not, and I, I keep telling people cause people, you know, we're not biologically siblings we're family of choice, Yes, we chose to be family, we're ohana, you know, yes. family means no one gets left behind. Mm-hmm. It would be great if the family of DNA understood that concept, but many times they don't.
1: Most of the times they don't, and it right? is it's very like, hard.
2: Yes, it is. Uh, Richard Bach says in the book, Illusions, most often, and this is a paraphrase, most often the members of our true family aren't born under the same roof.
1: Mm. Oh, I love that.
2: Right? It's like our family are the people who we truly feel connected to in in deeper ways. Yeah. Like, for example, and I'm going to spring this on you, I consider you family. Aww. Like I did from that very first time that we met. I was like, oh, there's something special about her. Right. Oh, yeah. We could cause some trouble together. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, like, so you're part of my tribe. Yeah. So
1: well, ditto. After- That's why when I knew, I was like, hmm, <laughs> I need to talk to Ray. We need to talk about this
2: right so anyhow moving forward i think the idea like for me is a colleague asked yesterday on a zoom that i was on what are each of us in our respective ministries doing to decolonize our ministries oh that's beautiful because that narrative of colonization like it's it's everywhere and it's everything Mm -hmm. and it made me think like i had to pause for a second and said well what am i doing and the only answer that i really came up with is you know what Just being me, being authentically and transparently a black man who is gay, who follows a path other than the Christian normative, Mm -hmm. that is a revolutionary act. Just being me decolonizes my ministry. There are no secrets. There is nothing for me to hide. There is, you ask me a question, I tell people whenever I'm doing, you know, ask the minister. You can ask me anything you want to ask me literally now if there are kids present i ask you to be mindful but you can ask me whatever you want to ask me yeah and that's not the norm because clergy are supposed to be on some pedestal somewhere and holier than thou and and i'm not like i'm human right you're one of us exactly and, and the funny thing is so in our teaching in new thought we don't, we don't see God as an anthropomorphic deity. Like God is not Odin or Zeus or mm-hmm. Yahweh sitting on a cloud somewhere judging, right? So the idea is Voltaire said, I believe it was Voltaire said, God is a circle whose circumference is nowhere and whose center is everywhere. So that means right where you are, God is because it's everywhere.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Now, if God is not a person, but an energy, it's a presence, mm-hmm. then, then when, when we say in Sanskrit, om tat sat, I am that I am, which is the same thing that was given to Moses on the mountain. You know, "Yodhe he I am that I mm-hmm. am. So what does that mean? It means that which God is, being everything and everywhere, your God.
1: Right, is also what I am.
2: It's also what you are. Yeah. So that which God is, is incarnating itself. It's breathing itself with every breath we breathe. The universe, we are it. So. It's giving me chills. I'm getting
1: emotional just hearing that. (laughs) No, I'm serious because it is so important to hear those things, especially when you are, I can imagine. I mean, myself, it's already giving me chills. Raised Roman Catholic, that is not the message that I got. Right. It was one of shame and, you know, right. you should not like yourself because you are full of sin. Yep. And That's you have earth. to beg for forgiveness and yep. you will never get it because you are going to continually sin. Yep. Because those bitches in the garden, right? Yep.
2: Yep. Who did <laughs> it for... it up for everybody. Up
1: for everybody.
2: <laughs> right. And yet, and yet, you needed someone to die. Mm. You needed someone to die to atone for your sins. so Right, so it's this, my fault. <laughs> right, so this loving father gave his only begotten son right. to be tortured and die. And yet this, this omnipotent, all, all-powerful, all-knowing deity couldn't create a sinless world. Couldn't create another out for so his son didn't have to die. Yeah, Like that is the the concept of that is so like in spiral dynamics, there's this idea of how do we evolve spiritually? And that concept is so low in the spiral dynamics idea because it's based in this idea of magic and fantasy Mm. because it's about blood sacrifice, which is very tribal. It's very very indigenous in many ways and Christianity in many ways is still a five-year-old theology with a five-year-old God who is Santa Claus, who judges if you're naughty or nice. Yeah. And if you're not that, then you get struck with a lightning bolt turned into a pillar of salt. Mm. Your whole world gets flooded and I'm killing everybody. That's right.
1: I'm bringing on a plague.
2: Right. And yet you're all powerful. So You couldn't just wipe them away and say, let's like, oh, this is how I'm going to do this. Or like, that makes no sense.
1: Right. But I can also imagine. So like what you were saying about, you know, God being this energy and being who, so like you are, that is who you are. God is you. You are God. We are all like, we are in that way. How for you, either personally or what you have seen being a gay man, black gay man in the gay community has did, I can imagine that being super powerful for someone who is raised in a religion that maybe mm-hmm. was not accepting of being queer in any way, shape, or form.
3: Right.
1: And right. how healing, I mean, like, it was healing for me to just hear you say that, right? And right. even though that is something that I know, again, like, hearing that is like, wow, that's so powerful. Right. What kind of role does that play for, for you or for others in, like, the queer community?
2: So as I mentioned, way back when, you know, there was a lot of guilt and shame and trauma and depression and suicidal ideations, right? Yeah. And that's when I was fundamental Christian, et cetera. And then I get to this teaching that says, So you do recognize or realize that you're whole, perfect, and complete just like you are. So I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. You're like, whoa, 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 come again. Rewind. Rewind. Yeah. And play that again. Say that Wait, again. hold on. Let me
1: clean my ear out. I think right, I... Right.
2: Q-tip. Okay. <laughs> say, that one, say, say that one more time. Say it slow and say it clear. Mm. You are whole, perfect, and complete. Okay, I got that. How is that possible? Mm. So imagine this. Here's a cake, right? It's a chocolate cake. And you take one slice out of the chocolate cake. Is this one slice the entirety of the chocolate cake? no but how much of that slice is entirely chocolate cake Mm. well all of its chocolate cake that's your relationship to god you individually are not the entirety of god but all that you are is entirely god Mm. and god cannot be broken spirit cannot be whatever it is like it cannot be missing it is fully now how you experience things changes but the essence of your being, the cellular being, the that all of that, the essence of it. Yeah. You are whole. You are perfect, and you complete. Now, how do you live from that? And I was like, "Whoa!"
1: I, you're like, I "Hold time. on, I need time right. to process
2: that." <laughs> right. So, in the in the process of processing it, it was, how do I take this and apply it to this? But you should feel ashamed for this, mm. or you, you should feel. But you're a sinner. But wait a minute. Sin doesn't, it no longer carries the idea because I understand now that sin was an archery term that meant you missed the mark, you missed the target. And the reason that the wages of sin are death is because if someone's charging me and I miss them, then they kill me. Mm. So then sin isn't really the evil mistake that I've been, well, so technically, if I add two plus two equals nine, that's a mistake. I missed the mark, it's a sin. Oh wait a minute so just reprocessing what all of that meant was extremely empowering recognizing that my thinking because everything that we have the thing that we're using zoom came out of someone's mind Mm -hmm. the clothing we're wearing someone's mind designed it every piece of artwork every book everything came out of someone's mind so how I use my mind to read Frame or retell the narrative of what it means to be black, what it means to be gay. Like, what is the net? What narrative am I choosing to tell? Yeah. Instead of letting someone else tell my story for me or to me, what is my story? And realizing that I could do that for myself was extremely liberating. Oh, I'm sure. Extremely. So what I remind people of every time I find them, when, wherever I find them, in the gay community, wherever, yeah. is remind them that how we tell the story to ourselves first. Because within the community, there is prejudice, discrimination, racism, etc. Yeah. Like there are black gay men and white gay men who don't come together because white gay men they'll say on their profile or whatever if it's a dating app i don't do blacks i don't do femmes, i don't do fats right so within there there is ableism and all this stuff and within the black gay community there's this idea of well if you're too effeminate then you know you're still sissy or but wait 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 do you realize that what you're do you realize what you're doing and it's been so ingrained that A lot of folks don't realize that that's what they're doing.
3: Yeah,
2: they've taken on the hate of someone else so much that they hate themselves, and like we say, hurt people hurt people. Oh, yeah, so they project that anger, that whatever, onto the effeminate person. Because as you mentioned way back when, women still in our culture are deemed less than whatever less than worthy less than valuable less than less just less, less than. than
1: well this is why black trans women
2: yep there you go are
1: the number one population of the queer community that yep. are murdered and targeted yep. and shamed
2: exactly. and forced
1: into sex work because they can't do anything else
2: exactly exactly and that's what i'm saying is so for me it's how do i change the narrative for me what is the narrative that needs to be changed yeah how I, hard
1: I, has I, that been within the gay community in in your interactions with other people who are either you know white or people of color
2: extremely daunting extremely challenging because a lot of people like i still run into a lot of gay folks who are still christians mm-hmm. and even though they may go to an mcc church which for those who don't know it's the gay affirming church they're still you're still reading the Bible. And so passages that were used to traumatize you, they're still there. Yeah. And if you, if you don't address them like head on, then how do you ever transcend past them? So there's still a lot of, and especially in the black community, because we need our gospel. We need our gospel. It's a
1: huge part of your culture. Yeah.
2: And the average black church is not gay friendly in any way, shape or form. To the degree where you do know the choir director, you do know he's gay, right? <laughs> you, like, like, how do you not know? That, come on now, come on, come on, come on. Like, we really? just don't
1: talk about it.
2: We don't talk about it. Don't ask, don't Shh, tell.
1: Right, because that, work, that works so well.
2: Yes, exactly, right, right, right. So I, I still find that so many within the community are still traumatized, et cetera. And so I remind people that if you look at the indigenous cultures around the world, like for example the native american indigenous american culture Mm -hmm. the two-spirit individual Mm -hmm. was the individual who was the shaman the medicine man medicine woman the chief the wise person the sage like it was them yeah because they were the person who had the balance of yin yang Mm -hmm. masculine feminine dark light heaven and earth like it was balanced in them So they were recognized and honored for their position of power. Imagine if that same consciousness existed now. Like I tell people, you do know how much money gay folks have like in America today, right? Right. Like if every LGBTQIA plus individual said July 4th through August 4th, not spending my money on any organization, whatever that's not LGBTQ friendly. Shit would shut down. It would. Like for real. And if black folks, and gay folks said, you know what, how do we build a financial infrastructure that said, not only do we now have a seat at the table, but because of where we are putting our money, we are making our own tables Mm. and chairs and rooms that these tables and chairs sit in. So we don't need to sit at your table anymore. We don't need to be welcomed or invited to your table. We now have our own table that if we choose, we are inviting you to our. What would change? Everything. Right? Everything would change. Everything. Because someone, there was a woman on a video that I saw that went viral and she was reminding folks, and she was, she was livid, but she was reminding folks, White folks should be so glad that we simply want equality and not revenge. Mm. And I said, that's powerful. That is powerful. Understand understand that what that means is equality, financially equality, that if we were to pull our monies together and actually did like this financial stability thing and the retelling of the narrative, that we would actually be creating a world that works for all whereas right now it's simply a world that works for like at the top of the pyramid it's old white cisgender men
1: yeah that's who this is built for
2: so that tiny one percent dictate everything for everybody else yeah i'm like well maybe it's time to chip away at that pyramid and turn it into a globe turn it into a ball where like uh king arthur it's a round table and Mm -hmm. everyone sits at the table equally Mm -hmm. because indigenous folks the world over the global majority the brown folks the world over simply want recognition to be honored and to be seen as valuable and equal it's not like people want okay so white folks you you enslaved us now we're ready to do it to you (laughs) it's not that and i'm sure there's some militant folks out there who would love that i'm sure you know i'm praying for them but (laughs)
1: Well, and on the other side, there are white folks that think that that's exactly what people of color want to do. Right, right. And it's like, then you're not listening.
2: Yes, right.
1: You're missing the point completely.
2: Exactly, exactly. So here we are with the idea of, okay, so what do we do moving forward? And so I always come back to what is mine to do in this whole thing? And it's having conversations like this that I know will reach many ears and the seeds will fall into soil and it will start other conversations for other people. And I do my best to always be open and tell people. So if I ever say anything or do anything that it causes a question to pop in your mind, send me an email, send me a message on Facebook, ask if you ever have a question about anything. And yes, being a black person having to explain stuff, being a gay person having to explain stuff Yes, it gets tiresome. It gets daunting. It's like being an interpreter, and people say, "So can deaf people drive? <laughs> can deaf people do math?" I know, right? He has like, a job. Are you, are you serious? Right, they work. Are you serious? Yeah, yes. I
1: still get that. I'm married to a deaf man, and there, I still get people that are like, um, "Wow, he works," and I'm like, wow. "Get the fuck away from me!"
2: Wow, don't
1: talk to me. Or like how he drive like I'll mention something. Oh yeah, like, well what's he doing? Oh he had to go, uh, renew his license. Well, I didn't know deaf people could drive.
2: Whoa, yeah. See, I'm like he's see? not
1: blind. <laughs> I'm like, do you need your ears to drive? And uh, they're like, yeah. well how do you how do they know that an ambulance is coming? And I'm like, don't they have
2: lights? <laughs> yeah, yeah, don't amen, you know exactly. that
1: when you're driving sometimes you're like, why is everybody pulling over? And then, oh my God, there's an ambulance. I didn't yeah. hear it.
2: Yep, right? or, like, or or, there are times where the police are in stealth mode and they don't turn the alarm on, but the lights are flashing. That's right. So think about that for a second, uh, ignorant folk who don't understand. I
1: think it's just so important to recognize, you know, when we talk about layers and intersectionality yes. Yes. of, you know, it's like oppression on oppression on oppression yes. on oppression sandwich. Yes. And all of those things that we have to take at, off layer by layer right. is so important and also the like what you were talking about before within the black community, the gay black community, the queer black community of having that inner minority oppression yep. and like so how people of color and how people who identify as whatever on the rainbow can do their own work to undo those beliefs and those biases. And like you said, just be willing to finally say this is who I am and I accept me and it, it's your job to figure out if you accept me. But that's not on me to make you feel comfortable. It's right. not right. my job to make sure that you are comfortable with who I am.
2: Exactly. Exactly. You know, so my mom recently transitioned on Father's Day and I was her power of attorney during the whole dementia experience. Yeah. And one of the things, you know, before she gave me power of attorney, it was, so when I die, this is what I want. And this is what I don't want. Mm -hmm. I'm like, okay. And as difficult as it was having that conversation, the reason she gave me power of attorney, because she said, I know of all my children, you're the one that's going to honor what I want. Mm. And one of the things she didn't want was she didn't want a funeral. And she said, if these rotten mofos can't come visit me while I'm alive, I'll be damned if they deserve to cry over my dead body. Yeah. So she said, if you want or need a funeral, okay. But the rest of them, the hell with them. Right. Right. So I had a cousin contact me on Facebook, like right after it was announced. And she said, so what are the arrangements? When's the funeral? And I said, there won't be one. (laughs) so she lit into her christianism with, oh of course but monty you're a man of gut well actually she called me lamont first she said "In like you do know my name's Raymond, not lamont thank <laughs> I you i was cousin. just gonna say
1: like was that like a nickname or was that like no she literally no, she got she- your name wrong
2: right because after i corrected her then she called me raymond
1: oh my gosh
2: right But she goes into this as a man of God, you know better you should know how to honor your mother and she needs this and she needs this and I'm like, you do know the funerals are for the living, not for the dead yep so this whole idea of like even within that where families are supposed to come together and comfort one another, there's still the slings and arrows because I don't follow Christianity the way they do. Right. I still I'm if anything I would be a new thought Christian, a metaphysical Christian but not a fundamental Christian right. So, because I'm different with this, I'm not accepted. Mm. And because my sexuality is different, I'm not accepted. And because I'm not the you know pro-black wearing cowrie shells and you know, well, I don't have hair to put a pick in, but <laughs> because I'm not like this stereotypical Black Panther kind of you know, I mean, I'll Wakanda forever. Black That's Panther, right, but right, right, right. Their version of what it means to be black, which, if you really get down to it, it's Oh, I'm not black enough because I don't drink and go to the club and do the stuff. Oh, that's what black is to you. So once again, it's what does all this mean for me? Yeah. How do I tell the narrative of what it means to be black, to be gay, to be my spiritual path? Because other people, they have their own ideas. And like you just said, it's not about me making them comfortable. I have to be comfortable in my own skin.
1: Can you talk a little bit about the not being black enough and Things like that, what you just identified, other things like colorism or black fishing or whatever that really play a role in within the black community, that kind of inner minority uh, <laughs> oppression.
2: Okay, wow. So, yeah, I've <laughs> Let's always just been, dig yeah, right in. <laughs> yeah, I've always been not black enough because I was the black kid who got straight A's or on a roll. Mm. And so I'm trying to be white because i read because
1: you're so smart
2: as i'm so smart mm. so even at a very young age i used to ask my dad why do people think that being black means being stupid and like my father he had spent 28 and a half years in jail before you know reconnecting with my mother and then they got married and had me
3: yeah
2: so his 28 and a half years in jail he read every book in the prison library multiple times and so i read because he invested this wisdom in me that reading is knowledge reading is you know beneficial etc whatever so I've always had this this idea that well what does it mean to be black being black is you hang out on the street corner being black is selling drugs like literally I would have people when I lived in Pittsburgh tell me to my face you're not black because you do kung fu you're not black wow. because you won't smoke weed. You're not black because you won't drink with us. You're not black because you don't wear Air Jordans. You're not black because you speak Japanese. You're not black because you hang out with the whatever those, uh, what's them people called? They can't hear or whatever. The finger-talking <laughs> people. You hang out with them. So you wow. went to Carlo. Carlo is a white Catholic women's college, and you went there. So clearly you're not. So, like, it's always been some form of and once again it's the narrative told by a colonized culture Uh, Don Miguel Ruiz who wrote the four agreements talks about how we are domesticated as humans our schools our churches parents they domesticate us we've been black people in many ways have been domesticated by learning the narrative of a white supremacist society that says if you fit this certain box, you're cool. But the moment you come out of this, then you're something else. Yeah. So I've been, I've been challenged with that idea of, well, what does it mean to be black enough? Uh, there was a time when I wasn't selected to possibly be a minister somewhere because it was a predominantly black congregation mm-hmm. and I wasn't black enough for them. So there's this idea. Well, what does that even mean? You're not gay enough. You're not black enough. You're not woman enough. You're not enough enough. Right. What does that even mean? And it's still a thing. Like you mentioned colorism. Like that's still a thing. The darker you are, the less seen, the less valuable, the less appreciated, the less worthy. Right. The lighter you are the more you are able to assimilate into, even if that's not your intention, the narrative is one of white is right. Yeah. So the lighter you are, the better you are. And within the black culture and community, straightening your hair, lightening your skin, like there are people right now in some of the uh, countries in Africa who, like, Try to bleach their skin, even in India, like yeah. the, the colorism thing in India. The darker it's you are, it's
1: everywhere. Yeah.
2: So it's like, well, where did where did this come from?
1: Mm-hmm. Where
2: did India? They're doing it. People in Africa are doing it. People in where is this coming from? Colonization. Yeah. Because the idea is, this is if you're right. fair, white skin, is the
1: superior race. So the closer you are to white, the better you are. But it just creates more than inner minority oppression.
2: Right. Yep.
1: So it's like, to the dominant culture, maybe we treat you differently, but within your own culture, you're ostracized. So you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't.
2: Right, because you're doing it to yourself now. You're doing, you're doing it to your brothers, your sisters, your community members. And if it happens long enough, then eventually you do it to yourself. You start telling yourself all of the things about you that are wrong, that are not good enough, that are not whatever enough. And then, of course, you're going to get depressed, get on drugs. Find there's some addiction, workaholism, alcoholism, something, because yeah. you now need to cope with the pressure of, I don't like myself. I really don't. I don't. And if I don't like myself and I don't love myself, then I'm not going to care for myself. Right. And the, if you're not caring for yourself, then what are you doing? You're abusing yourself in one way, shape, or form.
1: Yeah, and for what?
2: And for what? For some narrative... Right. That is long outdated and, and it's ready to change. Needs to be changed. Very much so.
1: Yeah. I went yeah. to a uh, training this one time and there was a panel, like an intersectional panel of all these different, mostly women. It was a, you know, kind of like female empowerment training. Okay. And they were talking about colorism. And the one woman, she's black, she was talking about the paper bag test. Mm-hmm. And that, to me, it blew my mind. This idea that, like, when she was in school, I think it was college, like, the fraternity, the sorority that she was in, it was like, you couldn't get into the sorority unless your skin was lighter than a paper bag. If right. you were darker than a paper bag, right. you weren't allowed to be in.
2: Right. Isn't that crazy? It,
1: it like, <laughs> it, but I had to, like, pick my jaw up off the ground.
2: Yeah.
1: How deeply rooted... The colonization, the white supremacy is in the people of color, not only in our country, but like you said, all over Asia, in Mm -hmm. even Chinese, Japanese, like literally trying to be more and more white, getting surgery on their eyes so that they have lids. Yep, yep. Like, you know, tons of things. And then on the other side of it, people from the dominant culture trying to look more tanning. Blackfishing, being more, like, let me make myself look more like you. And for me, then, it's exotic.
2: Right, right, right. And it's
1: beautiful. And look at her curves and look Mm. at her skin and, like, oh, her hair and all of that kind of stuff. And it's just, I mean, I get it, but it's also so mind-boggling all at the same time.
2: Yes, yeah. 3,000% there with you because the idea is... So when black people, hip hop, whatever, rap music or whatever, yeah, no, you know, yeah, no, no, we're not going to do that. But then when white folks are like, oh, hip hop, oh, rap, oh, now it's mainstream.
1: Right. Oh, and it's cool. So, and look at you. Yeah. Cornrows.
2: Oh, yeah. No, no, no. We're not going to hire you. No, 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 no. But wait a minute. Did so Kim Kardashian just did cornrows and now it's mainstream. Oh. Right. Or so, this white
1: fashion designer incorporated the shells and the patterns yep, and yep, the, yep. you know, and the oh look, they have afros. White yep. people, they had to crimp yep. their motherfucking <laughs> hair in order to get an afro cuz you're not supposed to have
2: one. Right. Right. Like the just the idea that if people would sit back and just observe, yeah. just simply sit back and observe the absurdities. Of how we respond to one another, how we communicate with one another, or or the lack thereof. Yeah. Just simply observe, and we'll notice all of these things that, like you said, well, wait a minute. What? Why is that? Why is it still a thing?
1: Still not? Yeah. Why not? Why, why was, it, was it a thing? Why right. is it a thing? Is,
2: yes, that's the thing. Understand where it came from. Yes. Yes. Yeah. But why is it still today? Why is neo Nazism a thing today in the year 2020? I get why it was a thing with Hitler in the third. I get, I understand that. But why is it still a thing? Yeah. What is it in the narrative that this ideology is still feeding? Yeah. And where is the hungry soul that needs to be fed, whatever this ideology is? What, because until we address that, we're putting a bandage on. It's like if someone has an eating disorder or uh, alcoholism or whatever, PTSD, whatever it is. If you simply give me a pill, but you don't address where my PTSD mm-hmm. is, like where is it originating? What are my triggers? Yeah. Then I'm going to be on the pill forever. And it's, and it's really only going to
1: do me. so much.
2: And it's only going to do so much.
1: I, I feel like that has been what we as a country and especially white people have done related to racism and oppression is like well we nominated a black or we elected a black president right Right. so it's a band-aid so
2: so clearly right so like
1: clearly we are not racist because look i voted for a black (laughs) man come on
2: right right
3: it's really
1: fascinating to me to like step back and kind of look at those things from that lens of like there's been a lot of efforts to put lots of different kind of bandages Mm -hmm. but never really actually going how did you get this wound in the first
2: place exactly exactly that's where because i even with like the president obama example you gave when people say it to me and i'll say okay for the for the sake of conversation let's say you voted for him so we'll say you're not racist can you not acknowledge that there are many others who still are Mm -hmm. your vote doesn't right cancel out right so can you not acknowledge that just because you or however many millions or whatever voted for him that there are just as many if not more who voted against or didn't vote at all because they're like yeah i can't vote for either of them because i don't want either right but
1: well, and, and then also and it, like that that didn't spark us to be where we are now today exactly, with our current it, administration. Yep,
2: yeah, because it's the opposite reaction, too. It's like, oh, we had eight years of that. Oh, yeah, yeah we need to go the far. Right. They're extra- like,
1: trust and believe we got, we got something up our sleeve for you.
2: Exactly. Yeah. And and I'm saying what you when you reference, how did you get the wound in the first place? Mm. Right. So name a job that's a high-level job where you can have absolutely no skill in the job and get it. Like can you be a teacher who has absolutely no training in teaching and become a high-level educator like a college professor No. or a manager of, you know, Zoom or something right. or a, a chief surgeon of a hospital, like there, there's no job and yet this man has no political experience, no real leadership experience, no real international negotiation—like none of that. And yet,
1: it's okay. You can say he has no experience. Period.
2: And yet, <laughs> here he, he, has he is, the, the highest political office in the United States, making global mm-hmm. decisions. How did that? Ha- how did that happen? Clearly, the United States of America has a wound that is being unaddressed, and he is the band aid for that wound for some people. And until we go and say, what is the wound? What is the thing? What is the trigger? What is the trauma? What is until we go there, things are going to like whatever it is the hands. Well, until
1: everyone goes there.
2: Right, that's, that's the key, because
1: that's like what you said, like, oh, yeah, all those people that voted for Obama, all those people, like you said, okay, so maybe you aren't racist. It is not enough to just not be racist.
2: Right. You've got to be anti-racist.
1: Can you talk a little bit more about what that is?
2: If someone is, let's see, what example do I want to use? <laughs> okay, so the average person would, would venture to say that they don't want cancer. Mm -hmm. I would venture to say that the average person is going to say, yeah, I don't want cancer. No, I don't want that. But if you really don't want it, then what do you have to do? Mm. You have to do the exact opposite, which means you actively, consciously focus on health and well-being. Because if you don't actively focus on health and well-being, you just meander, then, yeah, you're not really trying to get cancer, but you're also not trying to be healthy. Right, you're not trying to
1: not get cancer. Right,
2: right. So the average person would venture to say they're not racist because they're not an overt racist. They don't, you know, they don't put ropes in trees and, you know, they don't burn crosses and they don't. They have black to,
1: friends um, and they voted for right. Obama. and
2: Right, yeah. right. So they're clearly not the stereotypical racist. And yet when you go to family functions and Uncle Bob says, so I just heard this joke. So listen here. Knock, knock, knock. What do you get when?
1: Yeah.
2: And it's a racist joke um for example some whoo someone said what's the difference between a black person and a wind chime
1: oh geez
2: the black person doesn't make that pretty sound when the wind blows <gasps> right
1: oh that's awful
2: right yeah and they said this in my presence a couple months ago and, and recently I was gonna, yeah and thought i was gonna laugh about it and i was like okay let's let's unpack this Anti-racist is when a white person knows a white friend or family member who tells the racist joke or makes the racist comment or says the microaggression at work or whatever, and you go at it. Yeah. You say, so let me pull you aside for a second, Barbara, and let me explain to you what a microaggression is, because clearly you don't realize that you reaching for Pamela's hair, is an, it's inappropriate. You commenting about this is inappropriate. And let me explain to you why anti-racist is you do what is yours to do to turn the tide yeah to bring equanimity and justice to the table so it can be so we can talk about the wounds yes it's about addressing your own fragility of but i don't know what to say and i don't want to offend and it's saying you know what There's no way for me, it's an obstacle course. This whole thing about race, and it's an obstacle course. You're going to get dirty. Yeah. You're going to get bruised. And yet, if you're really going to engage in what this is, American Ninja, obstacle course, football, Whatever it is, yeah. you know that you're going to get bruised, but you engage in it anyway because you want the end result. Mm. If you want the end result of a unified nation and a unified planet, then you have to be willing to take your bumps and bruises and, and muddy knees and say, I'm going to have to call people out on this. It also means when you hear about this police officer or whomever in whatever state that you make a phone call to the governor of that state and say, look, check this out. I live in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. I live in Bowie, Maryland. I live in such and such Florida. Right. And I just heard about this on the news. And I want to let you know that as a mom, as a dad, as a grandparent, as a teacher, as a whatever, I want to let you know that 7,000 miles away, this is what I want you to do for the people in your city and Mm -hmm. in your state. It means becoming more vocal, becoming more active. And no, involved, it yeah. Involved. It doesn't mean you have to go out in the streets and protest. You can do petitions, you can write emails, you can make phone calls, you can go to a city council meeting and just listen to what's going on in your own city and state regarding how is educate well, like where are the schools in my city and state where it's, oh, that's a predominantly black school that is not receiving the same money that this school in Squirrel Hill is receiving. Right. Why not? How do I get involved in the conversation to end this thing called racism?
1: Yeah.
2: Like, you have to actively be engaged, not just passively say, well, I'm not right. racist. I'm not adding to
1: the problem, so right. I can take myself out of the
2: equation. Exactly. And that that's in, in this time and frame? No, because lives depend on it. Right silence. Martin Luther King Jr. said silence is betrayal. And James Baldwin said, you know, I really can't believe anything you say because what you do speaks so loudly. Mm. So what you do, I stand back and I say nothing. Yeah, so when you say you're not racist, I can't believe what you say because I see what you do.
3: Yeah.
2: And your actions aren't showing me that you're trying to change this and heal the planet
1: i feel like that's a good place to stop that was amazing thank you so much ray for coming on and being willing to share and be so honest and open uh i can't thank you enough i appreciate it so much
2: i'm honored my dear love you
1: love you Thank you for listening to Conversations to Connect with Gretchen and Christy. If you like our show, want more information, and want to connect with us, go to our website at www.conversationstoconnect.com and follow us on Instagram.
0: We hope this episode has given you some useful tips to create meaningful conversations in your life. If you feel like you would benefit from talking with a therapist, one resource is www.psychologytoday.com, or you can contact your insurance company. See you next time.